Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We are here to help you on your creative journey to reach your potential. I'm your host, Danny J. Pizza. You can stay abreast to all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get creative. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Hey, real quick, before we get into this show, I am always asked what podcasts to listen to that are similar to Creative Pep Talk. And I want to tell you about a podcast about working creatives, which is what this show is all about. I'm super pumped about this. How does an opera singer learn a new role? How does an actress find the perfect accent for her character? What does the director of a TV drama do all day? Those are the questions that Ruman Alam, Isaac Butler, and June Thomas put to creative people every week on the podcast Working. Learn how writers outline novels, how composers get jobs and get paid, and how YouTube creators learn to look into the camera lens. Listen to Working from Slate every Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm pumped to be collaborating with uh, with Working because this is the type of creativity that this podcast is all about, and I'm glad to see more of this kind of action happening in the podcast space. Go check it out. I have been so desperate for you to hear this conversation with our guest today, Lulu Miller. If you don't know Lulu, what the heck are you doing with your life? Lulu is the co-founder of NPR's Invisibilia, which is a show about invisible stuff. So you know, it's it's my jam. Love that show. Uh, she's a Peabody Award-winning science journalist. I have been a super fan of Lulu's work for ages. Not only did she do some of my favorite pieces on uh, one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Radiolab, but she also recently released a book called Why Fish Don't Exist, and I loved this book. It's partially about a taxonomist named David Starr Jordan, who was a founding president of Stanford, and it's also partially a memoir of Lulu. I'm really afraid to tell you any more details about the book because I don't want to spoil it, but I highly recommend reading this book. It's like the best of a public radio story, but way, you know, more full and and they can go to different layers. And uh, it's, it's, you know, about the super interesting historical American 
but it's also this deep existential grappling with the meaning of life. I literally laughed, literally cried, and literally cheered <laughs> at different moments. Love this book. It's amazing. Uh, it's so good. I love Lulu's creative sensibility. And just announced Lulu is the new co-host of Radiolab. So pumped for her. You're going to love this conversation on creativity and, and sensibility and finding your best stuff and listening to your body. It's Lulu is a master creator. Here she is, Lulu Miller. I was preparing for this and I, you know, I, I loved all your stories on Radio Lab. huge fan of Invisibilia. I loved your original Creative Mornings talk. And ever since oh. that talk, I thought, oh man, I really want to get Lulu Miller on the podcast one day. And I didn't even know you had a second Creative Mornings talk. I know the second one was kind of bad, but just I, there's no. some context there. No. It, <laughs> but but I yes, mean, there was a second one. I, uh, I watched that as I was preparing because I didn't know it existed. And <laughs> it was like, I kid you not, I, I was just like, oh, my God, because it's literally I'm like working on a book that is hmm. so much about the stuff that you were talking about, about oh, how you got into radio through the Firefly bit on Radio Lab, and just this this whole thing about sensitivity hmm. as creative people. And, um, and then also, I hadn't even really fully realized which stories you were responsible for. Uh, I just remember hearing you on Radio Lab and being like, oh, I really like this story or whatever. But then you named some of them in the talk, and I was like, I know all these stories. These are my favorite stories. So I'm a huge fan. It, it was totally intimidating after watching it. I was so ready. Watched oh, that talk. And then I was like, so no, sweet. I'm a bigger fan than I knew. And now I'm more scared. I will I will crush everything. I will crush all your all your worries immediately okay. by just being awkward and ineloquent. But I'm <laughs> that's interesting. So is the book about can you tell me more about the book? Yeah, I will. Um, you know, I feel like I'm cautious about because you come from journalism, you flipping this thing on me. So don't try to flip the interview. I won't flip. Um, okay, I won't flip. Just tell I'm, me about the book. I'm the worst at that. I can take the bait like nobody's business. But um, yeah, the book is about uh, right now I'm calling it uh, creative sensibility. Like it's two words. And it's Ooh. just this uh, it's just this thread that has become a huge deal for me, which is. You know, there's the, all of that. It's kind of, it's a little bit antithetical to the like 10,000 hours grit, all that kind of stuff. It's not completely in opposition. It's just like uh, in creative stuff, I feel like there's something before skill. There's something before mm -hmm. things you can do. And I think you're, that real genius comes from how deeply you can receive things. And, uh, and it's, you know, it started when I was um, stumbled upon that, the idea of, super taster and how, you know, great chefs in the making, you know, they're looking for people with highly uh, sensitive palates. Hmm. And that sensitivity becomes the thing that informs the intuition of what's good and what's bad as they go to make stuff. And you, so much of the stuff you were talking about is, is like verbatim what I'm putting in the book. Does that all make sense? I do think, I think, all of us, like they might, yeah, it might be tasting, it might be feelings. Like we all have certain antennas yeah. that are, that point us to some kind of creative or emotional heat. And I do think some of the work is, is learning to at least trust it or to like trust where it's starting to take you and then, and then really dive in and mm -hmm. see like, even if it's hunch is wrong, maybe maybe it's it's led you to something you need to explore even if you don't know why and i do yeah. i do think that's a huge part of it i i can't remember if i talked about it in that talk but like i think one of the most important parts in cutting tape is just to listen to your body like an antenna when yes. you're, when you're doing audio and like even if the words aren't as good you know like that's why i think transcript can be useless, not just not as good, but like useless. I mean, it's yeah. like, even if someone says something perfectly eloquently out of language words, there might be the most halting and eloquent thing that comes out in their voice that communicates so much more. And, and I think that that, that like, 
as an editor, you know, like a sound editor, producer, radio person, documentarian, you have one of the most exciting but crushing parts of it can be how many choices you have. Like someone talks about something, you know, falling in love in seven different ways and you really only can pick one. And and that I do think just going back to like that first listen and if something if something like tickled your body and you don't even know why, choose it and then use your brain to like retrofit and work out why and then set it up to succeed. But I think there's something really powerful in that little intuitive sensor. And I'm excited. I'm like, that sounds really cool. I'm excited to learn more about that. That is exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. And that this idea of listening to your body and I, you know, this idea of all the choices, there's a, uh, I think it's like, Robert De Niro quote about acting, like he said, acting is all about choices. That's all you have is the choices that you make. And then I actually just think all creativity is like that. It's which notes pair together, what. So then your talent ends up becoming the intu- intuition that is informed by those feelings in your body and that sensitivity. And that becomes yeah. this sensibility. That's that's the idea. But that I love how you described it about listening to your body as you're going through the tape and just trusting that inner metal detector, that spidey sense thing. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, now we're like off on this really quick. One of my favorite things about radio is Mm. like you get to be, it's a job that has a built in two very different ways of being. So it's like you go out, you know, when you're doing the interview, that's an hour of time or whatever, where you pretty much it's, it's more like improv where you like kind of only have your gut decisions of, or I'm going to ask her more about this, or I'm going to like, let that go. Cause that feels like it might be a tangent or, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. And like, yeah. those are all just like, I can't brood. I can't rethink. Like it's great for an anxious person because it forces you into the present. But mm. then, then like, well, depending on the show news, you don't have much time, but on the like luxury <laughs> item shows, I get the privilege of working on where like you can work for a story like six months. Yeah. Um, you, but then you can go be like this, you know, broody tweaker caveman in a cave with your audio being like, well, maybe I should start here. Maybe I should start here. Push it back and forth, push it back and forth. And like, I don't, it's not that part isn't as I mean it is fun like there's something like I think that part can be more it's more comfortable to me being in the cave with all the audio but Mm. it is also more torturous and agonizing and laborious and there is something I love about this job where it has these built-in hours where you just you don't get to tweak and brood. You just have to go chat and interact with the world and interact with someone else. And, and then, but then you get to like drag it back and like make sense of what the hell you just did. Mm. So it's this weird, it's this weird profession where you get to spend creative time in both places. And I, and I like that a lot about it. Although lately I think I'm craving the don't overthink it side more. Like I, I have this hunger to do live radio, even though I've, I've literally never done anything live. <laughs> mm. I've, I've been thinking about how the power of putting on different hats and in different parts of the process and being really intentional about that. And I've thought a lot, you know, I do a lot of uh, public speaking and a lot of obviously podcasting and then just all kinds of different uh, mediums and things that I do. But I've found that like realizing like I'm one part writer and then one part performer and then knowing where those energies are and then and and knowing how to interact with those things do you feel like before you go do an interview is there another phase before that that's the preparation oh hell yeah yep oh yeah big time yeah what what does that look like I mean I think I have this um perpetual fear that I won't think of anything to ask a person. Like, actually, I think if you meet me in space at a party, I'm like kind of boring. Like, I don't, I think I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like, how, what's the weather? Like, I'm like, I'm working on it forever. Um, But I think if left to my own devices, I don't ask great questions or I I don't know what it is. um, But so I try to, you know, like I think about what I might need and I don't really go the route of writing a ton of questions because those I don't tend to be able to hold on to. They just burn away. And then I feel like I'll be in a panic again. One mm-hmm. thing I do, like what I've kind of come to over the years is I actually, I get like a one piece of eight by 10 computer paper, fresh blank, no lines. And I almost draw kind of like 
a pictogram of maybe the five main scenes that I think I need. Um, And I almost imagine like the short story version of the interview I think I'm going to get. So I'll be like boyhood stargazing scene where he loses his faith seen by the water where he regains a new kind of faith formed by mathematics seen where the wife doesn't, you know, whatever it is. And like within each scene, usually like there's one or two philosophical or emotional questions I know that I want to ask. And then, and then I'll kind of like look it over again, right before the interview, like I'll usually kind of make it messy. And then I'll, and then I'll make a second version that's a little more distilled and also is reminding me what I care about. And then in the interview, I have that if I, if I can, I have it nearby so I can glance at it and remember like, what are the areas I want to walk around in and investigate? And then usually like my image of the scenes is totally off and their real experience is better. But there's something for me about those those pictures or those film-like scenes I want to wander through that helps me organize. And I, and I try to usually get it down to about five because that's kind of what I feel like I can remember mm. uh, what I'm out to see. Okay. So, the, okay. So my problem here is I'm trying to figure out whether I just keep going with this or I go to my plan. That's oh. um, And that's part of why I'm so interested in all that is because, you know, uh, you probably don't know this, but, you know, like two, two thirds of my podcast is a monologue thing. And then one third right. are these interviews. And I, you know, I've approached them in a million different ways. And I'm a very curious person. And I'm always interviewing somebody that I'm super curious about. Um, so I never have, a you know, a shortage of questions or things I want to talk to them about or whatever. But I haven't nailed how I want to approach interviews, really, because you know, like I said, I've got I've got a whole pile of questions here. They are things that I want to know, but then now you just said all these other interesting things that I didn't plan for, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just verbalizing my inner struggle there. Okay, I'll, here's if I was if it was me. Yeah, this is the I, best possible thing you could tell me <laughs> is that you know so much more about this. Tell me. Well, that is also the role of like, of right, the producer. It's like this mix between the scaffolding you need to hit and then the exploring the yeah. the places you could have never dreamed, which is often where the true discovery takes place, yes. but then not coming back with only rabbit holes and mush. Right. And like, yeah. So like I, when I start to get tempted to wander further away from the scaffolding, then what I do is I quickly am like, okay, well, if I go here, what are at least the two things I know I'm going to come back and hit? And I maybe do a right away with the other 12, but like, I just remember as I go on the the side journey, what are the, then I like do it down to two where I'm like, where well, I got to confront her about this hypocrisy right. and I got to get the scene <laughs> of the breakup. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the, I'm going to bring up your hypocrisy right now. Okay, that's what it, I've been waiting it, for. Since <laughs> but yeah, that's what I do. So I do a quick reevaluation and be like, let's go here. Cause I want to, and there's like creative yeah. lust to go here, but then what are the two things I know I need to come back? Okay. So that's what I would do. That's good advice. This is helping me get through this one. <laughs> I, I'm going to go, I'm actually going to, we're going to hit some of these things you're just talking okay. about in a little bit. Um, but before we go into that, I'll trust my scaffolding here, as you say. And I wanted to ask you, uh, first of all, I loved your book so much uh, why fish don't exist. And I wanted to know what it felt like, cause it seemed like you put your heart and soul in there, what it felt like to release that book in April, 2020. Oh yeah. I mean, it was such a bummer <laughs> to release it at first. I think it yeah. felt like a huge, um, disappointment. Thank you for reading it. That means yes. so much. Thank you for, for finding it something is fantastic. in it. Um, it is weird, but thank you. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was like it was it was a huge heart and soul project. I don't know that I'll ever write another book. Literally, the process took about 10 years and and mm. honestly, like stole me away from invisibilia because I had started it before I started the show. And I like had to untie some of the physical like philosophical knots in it before I felt like I could literally get, get on my life. Like it was weighing on me so much. So, Mm. um, it was that, like it was, it's very much my heart and soul. Um, and yeah. And then, but I think another thing that just like, I, I think just, you know, the kind of like workaholism culture and having your worth wrapped up in what you make, Yeah, like the book, I think I had this feeling that like I could publish it, get it out 
and then go like relax for a couple months. And, and I had actually like cleared the plate so I could just like go on book tour and then in between journeys, go be with my family. And I just like had this vision of travel and like <laughs> presence, you know, like yeah. not, ha yeah. And this kind of thing. And so having that taken away, like was a weirdly, it's so petty and small and like such a frivolous thing already to have wanted, but right. it, it like was, it was spiritually crushing in a way that like, I felt really embarrassed about because I couldn't turn the corner on it for a bit. And I was just like, why am I so down? And I think it's because I'd been like lonely and alone for a long time. And I was like, as an ecosystem, I was like seeking input and connection and, um, and, and then it was like a lockdown on a lockdown on a lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And it was like doing interviews, like again and again about like, Oh, your suicide attempt and like the darkest <laughs> things, but it was like all from my yeah. closet. And it just felt like a Truman oh show. Of, is this even happening? And here I am in my pajamas again, in theory, talking to someone and like doing an event, but I don't know if anyone's there. And it was like, yeah. so, so that was weird. But then very, I don't know, I would say like within a month or so, then there started to just be like, Hey, you know what? They're, books are a way for people to connect with one another right now. And actually True. like, I'll get these strange little Twitter messages or an email of like someone who found it and got a break or got some reframing on this moment. And like, then those mini connections, which is one thing I talk about in the book and how those things matter, like those connections form the web that keep us here. I think I just started to see them. And like so much of the book about is being like recalibrating with chaos of being creative with it. And so I think I finally was like, okay, I'm going to freaking practice what I literally just preached. Yeah. And yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's just been, I think there's been that family time I've been craving and, and like in a weird way, maybe that has been the strange gift of it. And, and mm. so, yeah, it was, it was like a bummer that then deepened into this time of, of something else. Yeah. Did you, and you said that you've been, you've just started writing. Did I know a lot of creative people, I, we do, uh, we're really intentional with not like pushing, this is your time to make your masterpiece. Like we're not, we don't have that angle or anything from the show, but I just wondered, but a lot of people are looking for how to feel inspired, how to make creative work and, and get into that place. Have you found any, uh, particular tricks that have been helpful for this? How did you start getting into this um, new writing project? Just letting go of being inspired. I mean, I think this, I think yeah. like the main thing that just as, as a white lady who has come to a point in her career, like in public radio, where I'm moving into like, just am enjoying my privilege more and more and, and moving right. into like a host role, things like that. I think it's just been a summer of listening, like where it's just, you know, this idea that like Black Lives Matter is a problem in the newsroom and Black stories are being discounted and Black journalists are not being <laughs> retained because of all this like insidious devaluing mm. of their perspective or outright hostility. And I think in a way for me, I've just been like, yeah, my voice like really doesn't matter right now and like what matters is listening and so I just haven't felt like I haven't felt I haven't felt like inspired but even more so like I haven't even felt like it's my place to mm. add anything like I just have mm. felt more deeply than ever that it's a time to listen and I think I think part of what the the essay thing that I'm working on right now is just I don't I don't know if I'll finish it and I'm at peace with like I might not but it's kind of a preliminary attempt to think about what as journalists, it's for this place called Transom, which is like a cool, really cool kind of clearing house of, of, of radio education. Like for anyone who wants to get into radio, it's like essays and technological training on like how to do the long form radio thing. Um, yeah. And so it's an essay for them that I'm calling hack the compass and, and just this idea of like, okay, like what, I mean, this is, we were talking earlier about our intuition serving yeah. us, but actually what I'm thinking about right now is how our intuition leads us astray. Mm. And if there are ways to hack our own sense of true North, because intuitively and paradoxically, every 
like all our biases, not just whiteness or racism, but like what we find interesting, what we find boring, who we think mm. to go to to consult on a story. Those are all narrowing our search. And like, how do we bring more people into the search to get off to get us off of our path, to get us to deeper, more surprising, more complex stories? So it's like this kind of meta idea that I'm just trying to actually go through tangible ways to mess with our own sense of where to go. Because I think that yeah. that at least for me is a problem I'm realizing I have. So like it's an attempt to try to think about how to solve that. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I actually have anything that useful to say. So I'm, I'm getting it out on paper and then I'll look at it later. Yeah. I really, I, I, uh, I love all that. seems like, um, two threads that are really interesting to me. There are one after, you know, you've gone through this, this, uh, life season of producing all this radio content and putting out this book, it seems also just natural to go into a collecting, listening, yes. non-statement. Input, kind of input. Place. And just yeah. right. Like I'm so sick of my, what of like I have saying, to Here's say. Here's what I yeah. have to say. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I I'm just hung, hungrier than ever. Just that idea that like, it's so good for a field to go fallow and like collect the nutrients of the world and be reformed. I will say, but like I, one thing I think I, I do often think think about, I mean, I just freaking haven't been inspired for months and it's, and I'm mm. just, I'm actually like so okay with it. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I, I good as a white lady and good as a little freaking golden retriever. Who's like received her self-worth through pats on the head by what she's made for her whole life. Like I need mm -hmm. to learn how to be a person in space who isn't making a thing yeah. and getting her worth that way. And it's really cool. Um, but that said, one thing I will say like that has helped me over the years when I feel locked up in a way that has to do with like where I feel more like, oh, my ideas aren't good enough and I've been rejected so much that like this, this concept of Lewis Hyde's the gift, which is maybe mm -hmm. something you've heard about, but this idea of like yeah. that when capitalism enters the creative process, it totally screws it up. And that like one way you can reconnect with making is to think about making art as a gift for someone and yeah. that like right at the end I took a two-year break from radio and did an MFA in fiction which has, which is like my secret dear love that I'm very shaky legged at and not good at but I love um and and I was really bad at it and I wasn't getting anything published and my MFA classmates were like so nice, but you could also tell in their <laughs> eyes that like it, was, it wasn't my stories weren't good um <laughs> But I think, I think just, just this idea of like, maybe not creating for this mysterious approval of a magazine or like a, an out, you know, this like, what is in vogue or what is valued as visionary or good work and instead just like creating for someone you love. And that yeah. has helped me time and time again, like writing a children's book for my nephew or these days for my son or like writing someone a card and like drawing a you know, magenta tiger on the front, like that has just like rechanneled me back to creativity so many times. And when I was really at my wits end, a friend and I started this thing called the Hallow Zine, which was a zine in honor of Halloween, which we just like mm. encouraged our friends to submit to. And it doesn't exist anywhere because the whole premise is like, you only have a week or two to write or draw a thing that is spooky. <laughs> And then we have a campfire in which we read everything and then burn every page as we go. And then like by the end of the night, it doesn't exist. And just this idea of like creating for friendship, for community, for fun, low stakes, like that kind of shit just helps me. Rem it like it helps me get confident, like it helps me get in touch with my own voice and who I want to yeah. be as a maker when I'm imagining making for someone who like I don't have to impress but who like I want to entertain. I don't know. So that helps yes. the gift, the gift idea. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I know several, I, several times. Okay, when I'm going to stop talking. That. No, no. Are you crazy? <laughs> that is this, the point of this. I just didn't want, I was, I'm just letting you know that throughout that kind of like you're in the middle of a, a rowdy church service. There was just this thing of me. I wanted to be like, that is the good shit. That is what I'm talking about. And so I didn't do that because I wanted to keep hearing it. But the, you know, when you're talking about making stuff, we, we, uh, this is something I think about a lot is making stuff as gifts for people, you know, specific targets. And then beyond that, like I, I had 
a similar experience. Like five, six years ago, I was trying to get a kid's book published. That was my goal. Like I want to write a kid's book that is published by a major publisher like that. That's why I was making the books. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and it was just a shit show. It was just (laughs) terrible. It just was not working. I kept pitching this editor who was the most lovely person. She ended up uh, I've worked with her a bunch since on just illustrating some books later and she yeah. was so patient but they were just garbage like the worst things ever that I was just churning out because I'm like please you please. know affirm say me yes, say yes. Um, and right. then this year and then you know I went I went away from it and then uh, this year I decided to go back because um, I was really inspired about this idea uh, to write a kid's book and I just wrote it and it, it I can this is so honest. I wrote it literally like for minutes. me. No, I didn't write in five minutes. I actually, I, those other stories I'd written really fast. Yeah. This I actually just, I tucked away in the notes on my phone hmm. and I just slowly like savored doing mm. it because it was the stuff I like to do. And I finished it and hmm. I haven't pitched it or anything. And the reason I, and I will pitch it, but I'm satisfied with it. Already, mm. it's I, mm. I, and I and I don't. I feel I hate the cliche of what I'm saying because it's real to me. But that you know, I know exactly what you're saying. That that thing of making a gift to somebody gets you right into that sweet pocket of creativity. Yeah, and right, and maybe that gift is even yourself as a kid, right? Like I, yes, I, I it think is. of, yeah. yeah, I think of like there's a story I wrote, kind of at the literally the middle of my MFA and like the nadir of my (laughs) emotional struggles. Like it was a low point, rock bottomy, rock bottom. And Mm. it was this like very short piece in in which like I imagined my way into something very dark that I needed to imagine my way into. And the story Mm. got utterly eviscerated and like that actually made it even worse you know because I was so vulnerable then and like it was a very painful experience but and yeah and I think like the the professor called it like you know self-indulgent and you know whatever blah 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 (laughs) and I was like I'm the worst and you know whatever but I still think of that story as like this gift to myself at that time which like there are other stories I'm ashamed of and that one I should be, but it, it like, it just similarly where you're talking, like you savor the experience, like it actually got me through to something else that helped me then go on. And like, that was like a gift to a lonely, emotionally struggling person. And maybe I shouldn't have turned it into a vicious workshop, but, (laughs) um, but like that was a story that some part of me needed right then. And yeah, yeah, I think like when we can create that way and actually like, and maybe also where the process itself is more important, like where it is an act of, for me, I think of the image of sledding where you like, you just don't know where you're going and you're riding your way down a hill and it's like, there's some speed gaining and like, you don't know, is it going to end at a bump? Are you going to go over an icy river? Are you going to, you know, like Mm -hmm. that, if you can channel that, honestly, escape, adventure, discovery like shit that's that's great if it never gets published it doesn't really matter if you can get there you know all right i'm gonna try i have another i have 17 other threads i can pull out there but i'm gonna get i'm gonna get to the the to the scaffolding um because i want to ask you these questions so one uh one thing i wanted to ask you um i wanted to see if you know you're a newly published author but you're a seasoned pro in the audio space and i just wanted to see if you could uh share the story of your entry point into that world and 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 why the medium of audio uh captured you oh How yeah did that happen i was so surprised for it to happen at all i, I like hated public radio growing up. I just, you know, I wanted to be listening to like Jammin' 94.5, the station in Boston. Like I just, there was something very stale about it, you know, to my high school brain. I don't know. And so I didn't see that coming. I hadn't studied journalism, but, but then it was kind of my first year out of college. And there were just a few, I started hearing, it was 2005. I heard a couple, this American Life 
shows and then some early Radiolab shows where like there was just something it just like they punched through from it felt like they punched through from another reality where it was this reality it was our world but like there was so much humor you know on this American life there was this kind of irreverence um this kind of like almost strobing earnestness and irreverence that felt great mm. um, where there was like real curiosity about people and taking something as simple as like the story of a little boy giving up his pacifier, like treating that with artistry and documentarianness. Um, but yeah. then it was never too earnest. Like it would earn its keep by being really silly and funny um, and kind of take the air out of itself. And, and yes, there were a few stories there. There was one Starly kind did about like a neighbor that kept wrapping her cane on the wall and their kind of battles. And then there was one about like this guy, I think his name was Nubar Alexandrian. And and he was gaining tinnitus as his daughter was losing her hearing. And they did a piece together where they talked about like, invasive noises versus the pleasure of quiet and like it was so deep and gorgeous and then this radio lab piece about fireflies um, where it described this kind of fireflies where huge congregations of them will blink in unison and they add all this sound design and of course fireflies don't really make a noise audible to the human ear but they like you know this kind of electroacoustic in between and they set the scene of these like christmas trees in the alongside a river just all lighting up and going dark, all lighting up and going dark. And I just started to realize like the good shit is here. Like the good shit Mm. is on earth. And there's something about radio where it's like this sweet spot of, for, I think, you know, for, for both empathy, but also for visual uh, images. Like you, you imagine them in your mind. And so they're really vivid and lush and perfect. Um, but you're not tripped up by the visual stories and visual judgments we can sometimes make of one another. And um, I don't know. I just like these are all words in retrospect, but like I just fell in love with it. I just felt glued to it. I was hungry for more. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of those two shows and and this kind of long form narrative audio where you get a story, you get some music, you get some transformation, maybe um, that just Oh, pulled me in really hard. And like, I have, I'm a hired fan. I am still in disbelief that this is my job. I still feel very clumsy and ill-prepared and a little bit too much on the shy and afraid of bothering people's side of the spectrum to be doing this work. But I muddle (laughs) through because like the fruits are so damn worth it. Yeah. I, yeah, I understand that. They, uh, when that happened, it sounded, you said, you know, all this was like, uh, retrospect and i'm guessing when you heard the firefly story you didn't have words for what you were feeling did you did you develop uh as you went into it with your work did that intuitive tickle to use your word uh did you start to form more did you end up naming it did it become less of an intuitive thing and did it grow into something that you felt like you I don't know, recognized easier, had some language around. And I mean, it seems like that happened as you went from Radiolab to Invisibilia. You kind of had a sense of your sen- sensibility at some point. Yeah. Like, do you mean Does like that make the, sense? Well, like naming like the tickle for which stories to go to or. or yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Like, did you like, you know, it sounds like when you heard that uh, Firefly story or, the, you know, some of these early This American Life things that you're listening to, that it was just totally intuitive and you, it just hit you really hard. Yeah. But then as you went to go make stuff, did you become more familiar with what that was and why you why you were sensitive to that? Hmm. I think that it still starts with the wordless thing. Like, honestly, I think it's still very much a tickle of like, you know, and there weren't words for it, but I do think, yeah, that Firefly story really was a gateway for me. And I think the word, if anything, that I felt was entranced and like caring about the world again, you know, where it's so easy to get lost in your head or think about yourself or if you, how you're measuring up or how you were awkward or what's next or what, you know, and like this stillness, like where I was just like, what happens next? How do we explain this? Who is this weird old guy with a papery voice? Who's like the random scientist who discovers it in his hotel room? Like, um, yeah. 
and so entranced. And I think I think there's something similar in that feeling where just like something about a story hits me on that level. And often the word is like spooky or surreal, where there's just something a little bit off or like, hey, this wasn't how I thought the world worked. And, and I want to know more. I want to know how it worked. I want to know how you got there, what you make of it, how you've crawled out. Like, I think there is still something to me where like I'm slightly drawn to a surrealistic story that just again, but that can mean anything, but just that it shows a world that is slightly different than the one we thought less flat, more surprising. Um, so I think, yeah. you know, and there's stories that haven't worked out. I remember I heard a story about like this woman who came home one day and her entire apartment was rearranged, um, and nothing was taken. And, um, and it's and it was like that felt like ooh such a good entryway and I tried to talk to her and then it kind of didn't pan out but like those I think it's just often a you know like an image or a detail and then and then it's the process of of going and finding out like does this lead to somewhere even more surprising and even if it's small is there a story there and in this case it had just been a woman who was confused and disoriented and had entered the woman's home and thought it was her own and like rearranged it and then left and it was kind of sad and the woman didn't want you know like it just there wasn't maybe a question there it was just a weird coincidence you know yeah um, but yeah, I think it's still that intuitive tickle that at least starts it for me. Yeah. Are you more, do, do you feel more attuned to that the more that you've done it? Did you, I mean, I'm guessing when, I don't know, is that true? Do you feel like it's something that you're, you, uh, yeah, just as you've gone, does it feel more attuned to picking up on, oh, this is something I, that's for me? Yeah, I think so. And I also think that like part of what this thing I'm working on right now is is me questioning my own comfort and my own like um, definition for what makes a story. Like, is yeah. it too limited? And is and like, how can I bring what I've now acquired in terms of like tricks and techniques to make a story work. Like how can I actually bring that into something into a different space? And so, yeah, like I do think that tickle, like I'm like, Ooh, that could be a story. Can I get them to talk to me? You know, like, I think I know, I, I know that feeling more and more. Um, I'm trying to think of one I've had recently, but where I'll just like, file it down and know I want to get back in touch with that person or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, I think like, oh, I don't want to become a parody of myself or I don't want to get too comfortable <laughs> with one yeah. version of things that work where it's like a little spooky, yeah. a little surreal, you reel it act, you know, like you learn it happens on earth, you learn their way through, there's some kind of emotional catharsis and you emerge with maybe a new way to climb your way out of hurt or whatever. Like, I don't know. I know that like a lot of my stories have a similar formula. If you really look under the hood and, and I do want to, I do want to challenge myself to change too. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I want to, um, I was, I put, that was one of the threads I put in my back pocket for later was about you saying, you know, this process of, you know, hijacking your intuition, hijacking that tickled, disowning it, you know, betraying it, whatever. Walking you know, in I, exactly it, the opposite direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, and I have, you know, uh, I've thought a lot about that too, because, you know, this sensitivity idea or this sensibility idea, one way I've described it and Ira Glass calls it taste and I've heard other people say it that way, but uh, this idea that, um, so you have that innate taste but then some of the most interesting things happen from acquired tastes of things that it didn't you it, you know you intentionally developed that taste there was something that you were like i don't understand that and it's not doing it for me but i have some reason to dig in deeper and it makes me think of like you know people with a second language can often see from a distance like opportunities for world wordplay that native speakers don't, you know, mm. like, so this idea of like, okay, I didn't understand that, or those weren't the stories that were doing it for me originally, but there's something that I want to know more about, or I want to understand why do people tell those stories or what, you know, is right. that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I think just this kind of like, I don't think it can hurt. I mean, like, I think, you know, in, 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 
in any profession really, but like definitely in journalism, if they're like to follow your, that, that moment, as you were just putting it of like, I don't understand how that works, go there. Like where there is a curiosity, where there is an unknown or confusion to move toward that, like that alone creates a sense of lust in the reporting process. And I think that's mm. really important. Like you don't want it to just feel dutiful. Like you want, I mean, that's like the, or it creates a magnetism or a gravity, call it what you will. Like that's what drives you in. If there is confusion or, you know, an unknown or discomfort, like to move just the kind of like, yeah, that, cre I don't know, that creates, it creates, it can create, you know, like it, that's the fuel. That's the fuel to like keep doing this work and get on the phone with someone who maybe doesn't want to talk to you, but you're like the th because you have a puzzle and like you want it solved or at least clarified or some of the component parts revealed or something. And it is that curiosity, that confusion that I think, yeah, like that, that in a certain way, like that is the very engine and that is our best tool. And like, I think the best stories come from when they're there. The best moments too come from when like you're putting words to the authentic question that you're wondering about. And that's where like, yeah, I don't know. So like, I, I do think that that always, or it works best when that's there or when you follow that, when you actually follow those, that feeling. Yeah. And I let's, you know, I want to just, uh, I'm a big believer in that Niels Bohr thing of, uh, the opposite of a profound truth is probably another profound truth. So like, Oh, I just, don't know that thing. It's a good, yeah. I it's thought, one of my favorite quotes oh, actually. God, wait. Okay. We can, I'm, I'm probably going to reveal myself to be dumb, but isn't he the <laughs> guy who like drew an atom? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I believe that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's just this relative kind of point of view. And, I, you know, I, I'm very comfortable. I'm, I feel like more comfortable than most in being like, yeah, I'm like a theist and an atheist at the same time. <laughs> yeah. like I, and I'm a cool with that. I like that kind of space. But, you know, in the same way, I'm, I am interested in just pull, pull, want to pull the thread of, you know, my big theory is it's a great place to start is in your sensitivity. But then I also, you know, I've heard you talk about, and kind of what it sounds like you're doing is saying like reject your sensitivity and explore what you're <laughs> indifferent about and bored by. I know. Well, maybe right, 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 or that right. That's what I think I'm maybe trying to say, but then I I'm not sure. It's really hard. And like, will that lead somewhere good? I mean, I think it can lead to really interesting places. From my own personal experience, you know, that idea that's the idea of like an acquired taste. Like there was, you know, like when I was growing up. Uh, I, I knew people that were cooler than me who liked different music to me and I would hear it and be like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. Yeah. But there was, I had some motivator to be like, I am going to understand this. And then I dove in and then once it clicked, it changed my life, that acquired taste. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden I had a new, and it just, I don't know. And, and it kind of reminds me of what you said. Um, I heard you say this idea of like, going beyond the regular questions or listening beyond what you really want to yeah. when someone's talking like and and how uh, yeah just like pulling on threads of boredom maybe that's just <laughs> as maybe there's gold there too i don't know it sounds i'm interested to see where you what you find yeah or just that there's yeah sticking with i mean Nancy Updike who is an amazing radio producer and was like one of the yeah. very first ones i just fell so hard for the kinds of stuff she was doing. Um, I remember I went to a talk she gave once and she was just like, stick around past your own bar boredom, past the point where they are so annoyed with you, stick <laughs> yeah. around, stick around, stick around. And like, just this idea of, you know, I think a lot, like, I think what that does is like, I mean, you're just adding time to the equation and with time comes the more likelihood that something will happen, something interesting. Um, you're adding chance and coincidence, especially as a documentarian that like, you know, they'll run into someone that makes them talk in a different way than you're making them talk and you catch that. Or just like, again, with the listening through boredom, you just might finally hit on a thread that interests you or ask a question that like clumsily through no reporting genius of your or intuition of your own finally pulls that 
book out of the bookcase that like spins you yeah. into the secret passage. And, and a lot of that, you know, it's like some mix of intuition, chance, luck, randomness. And, and so I do think that just kind of like listening past your own judgment or, you know, like that, that is, I mean, that's, that's cool. Like that's where real exchange and surprise can happen. And, and yeah, so I, again, not everyone, like I'm so sensitive to the fact that like a news reporter might only have 20 minutes with someone and that's not a luxury everyone can have, but maybe that's just something we can do in our own lives too. You know, like with the person we're stuck with at a party, like just, just, just have a little more openness that you haven't figured them out. Like just wait a little longer past your own taste. Um, yes. Also because people are weird in space. Like we all throw up defenses. Absolutely. And I, it reminds me too of like um, you hear of these people that meditate on a leaf and yeah. just look at it until yeah. it becomes interesting. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're seeing a whole other world there. And there's, you know, just giving something attention on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. All kinds of interesting things can happen. Um, okay. I, I want to be sensitive to time and I've got some other things I got to get to here. So. Well, uh, um, so there's two different threads I could run down. One is, okay, I'll go here first. You know, this idea of this surrealism, this thing of life, there's more to life than, than what you thought there was when you find these new stories and what have you, you know, often I feel like that sensitivity comes from a wound, like nothing is more sensitive than a wound. And from reading your book and, 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 uh, you know, following your stories over the year, I know, I know that some of that wound seems to come from this worldview that you were given from your dad of like the world is, is it a materialist worldview? Is that, accurate? Yeah, I think in certain ways. Yeah. Nihilist, extreme atheist, just, yeah, like there's, it's all chaos. What's here is here. Uh, there's, there's no meaning. There's no, like, you know, there's no afterlife. There's no divine force. There's no point. <laughs> and he's a scientist. Yeah. He's a biochemist. <laughs> so he's like really interested in, and, and he's a very joyful, hilarious, life-filled person. So I think it was like, that was the advice given. And then I looked at him and I was like, okay, so if I believe all that, I'll become joyful and present and filled with wonder, just like him. Like he is a very curious person. He loves his work, which is like investigating this tiny little arcane space called ion channels, which is the passageway in cells that ions pass in and out of and trying to figure out their structures because they're too small to see in a microscope. And that is what he has worked on like for 45 years and he loves it, you know? So like he's Mm. enthralled with the world, but there, there were certain, yeah, like his, just his attitude was just a very dogmatic nihilist meaning destroyer from, from early on. (laughs) I, my, one of my big questions from reading the book was, uh, and then I have a bunch of questions. I hope I get to talk to you again sometime, but (laughs) for um, sure we will. I feel it. (laughs) All right. Well, I, um, one of the big questions is it seems like, okay, you gravitate towards these stories that kind of offer a new, new perspective within your dad's worldview. And I just kind of wondered, even from the beginning, like, why didn't you just reject the worldview? I don't know. I'm like, just (laughs) such a daddy's girl. Um, I think that, I don't know. I mean, I think in certain ways, like, these things cursed and puzzled me in certain ways, but at the same time, he was also like, such an anchor and a mast and a force of like safety and buoyancy and clear guidance that like it, I still don't quite have the desire to like destroy the idol of him. Um, and so, but I think what I do like to do is just kind of serve back to him by his own rules, why I think he's wrong. So like, yeah, to show him (laughs) like we are, connected in these ways life does you know like our you know things do have meaning and there's just something more satisfying of like of of I don't know well maybe it's just because I do believe his worldview there's like something about faith and belief like I think there's just some part of me that really 
believes it. Um, and then there's a kind of pleasurable, almost argumentative exercise in, in proving him wrong by his very own rules. Like that for, for me feels like a very fun game and puzzle of my existence is, is to kind of serve back to him how there is magic and meaning and connectedness through the, you know, the kind of inner, inner workings of, of atoms and ions and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I feel, I felt like, um, I wondered if, you know, your immersion into the world of science and all of the bizarro theories that are coming out of, you know, the field of quantum physics, whether that kind of feels like it in, in a way eviscerates some of that pure materialism kind of thinking and it sounds like that's kind of what you're speaking to with the atoms and ions and all that stuff yeah yeah and also i do think there's a i mean i think certain things i have rejected or questioned and one of them is like it's loosening my my grip on science as the be all end all you know shower of truth i think i've if anything as i've gotten older and and i think i've I'm going to keep being a science reporter and I love this world, but I think I just have the, you know, I've slowly come to realize that, you know, science itself is imperfect and a human tool and just ripe with biases. And, um, I, you know, I think like just having a heightened awareness for that, that it's not some beacon of, 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 of light toward truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, okay. That's, that's good. I, that was one of my questions. And the last question uh, that I'll throw at you uh, in this little time. I'm wondering, you talked about kind of your tricks uh, and it sounds like the, the I'm very interested in creative mechanics mm. and especially story mechanics. Yeah. And I'm interested in what you've learned about, uh, you know, the journey from feeling that entranced feeling to producing to trying that to produce people. it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> I, that's my favorite thing. So. Yeah. Well, okay. I think like a, f- a couple of things that I like to try to tuck into a story. I mean, one thing is whiplash, just this idea that you might be in what you think is like a nerdy story about particles and then it suddenly gets really emotional. So just like being one step ahead of the listener, like, yeah, I know you think it's this, but it's this, or, you know, going lowbrow after it's been really highbrow or vice versa, starting with something really totally insignificant and silly and then getting like so deep on it. So that's something I'm trying to like constantly do because as a listener, I like that. I feel respected when I'm like, oh shoot, they were one step ahead of me. This wasn't where I thought it was going. I like that feeling. Um, and so that's one thing I'm trying to like tuck in. I, in a weird way, even though they might feel jostled or surprised, I actually think it makes a listener feel safe because they're like, they're in good hand. They're like, oh, you're you're anticipating. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. It's like you're handled. (laughs) Um, although some people I think experience that as feeling manipulated. And I, I do honor that (laughs) response. Like it's not for everyone, but I like whiplash. I feel like art though is kind of like the deal is I, I'm asking, I'm paying my ticket to be, (laughs) please manipulate me. I know. I totally agree. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and then there are checks and balances you can have on yourself as a journalist to make sure you're not doing anything unethical or try, you know, that's a murky thing anyway, but like, anyway, Mm. so, um, that's one, the sort of whiplash. I mean, you just, in, in my opinion, like you can't have a good radio story without some emotion. Like that is our gold. That is our medium. Painters have paint and color and edges and lines or whatever (laughs) words you have. Mm -hmm. Like we have emotion and we have music and we have silence, which is really fun to play with. And, the negative space, you know, all that. But like emotion is your grenade. And like the more you can, if you can, uh, if you can, if you can touch some emotion and authentic emotional experience in an interview, like that is what you want to build your interview around. And like, and another kind of tricky, sneaky thing is that, you know, often ideas will stick to either visuals or to emotion. Um, And so like, let's say you really want to report a piece on like systemic injustice 
in schools or whatever disparity in schools like if you it's like once you can find the emotion that can make that point like that's how you're going to sneak it into someone's heart you know and like mate you know so emotion just has to be there like emotion and it might be humor it might be anger it might be sadness i i am particularly drawn to sadness i think like i tears and all that i think um it's just so powerful to listen to yeah. when there's some kind of break um, because I think you're touching, it's like a connection. A tear is a form of connection. And so, um, yeah, so I think, I don't know, emotion, whiplash, and then, yeah, some degree of suspense, a good old campfire thing, like something that's a little spooky where you have a question dangling in the air to keep you kind of riding the, the journey of the story really matters. Like those are... Yeah, those are my main three, I think, like just the and then, you know, a reverence, which maybe is a part of of whiplash, but just to like, you know, I think I am sort of drawn to more somber or dark stories, but making sure that there are studded, like there are moments of irreverence and, and connection and fresh air and laughter. I think that that, again, it's like it's how you earn your keep to take on that that harder stuff um and also like irreverence is a huge part of being able to stay afloat through the hard time so like i i really appreciate that as a listener um and so it's something i'm trying to search for in conversation or in writing and yeah so th i think those are my those are some of my four yeah that's i live for that that's my this is my uh this is why I make the show. These little things like that. That's my favorite Wait, I'll stuff. give you one. You um, know what I'm thinking about? It. I'll give you yeah, one give more. Yeah, give me another one. I'll give you five. Yeah. Well, since you have the okay. leaf, you touch the leaf, meditating a leaf image into my yes. head. Like, I think another thing I try to do is give like at least one little pool of quiet. And maybe that's true silence. Or maybe it's like very gentle, like a tone. Um, because again, I think one thing radio can do is like, steals you away from all your anxiety. You're deep in the story. You know, you finally get away from your head because you're like interested in where it's going to go or like, you know, who did the thing or whatever. And then to finally be led to this little pool of stillness and kind of like enjoy a moment of contemplation and the sensation of being in your head. Like the story has quieted all your anxieties and demons. And then in the midst of the story, or maybe right at the end to just like leave someone with a moment of peace in their head. And that doesn't mean like reassurance. Maybe there's conflict and maybe there's questions and the stories left you maybe even with anger, but just, I like to try to like doll up these secret pools where you got a few extra seconds, maybe then even the pacing of the story wants like stuffing in just a little, a little pool of silence, which I try to like, I think of as these little gifts of like here, here you are with yourself alone and you're okay and it feels different and yeah so that's something aesthetically almost I think I try to like drop a few in there well I don't know if I'm getting better at uh podcasting or what but I I know how I'm gonna end that whole thing that you said <laughs> as well. <laughs> with a little silence <laughs> a little yeah that's right yeah uh, but yeah I oh man I don't yeah I don't do that well and that that is really good. I, I'm gonna. I'm using that. Uh, you know, last thing I'll leave you with, and I know you got to go, is uh, this whole thing of um, sadness and tears. You know, I, me and my buddies who are also public speakers talk about how we're huge fans of comedy, but we almost want to feel like we want to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. I think as like a storyteller, it, the metric is tears, and it's like that <laughs> tears are the, you know, the thing, the measure of meaning, and which is kind of what you're you're going for. And it seems so sadistic, and I know, uh, but that's the way. That, I, I, that's exactly who I am. I've increasingly like when people are like. I cry or like those, I just respond with like the little monster emoji and I'm like me grow strong on tears <laughs> yeah. and it is it's yeah. so sadistic, but there is this like, okay, I've connected. I've, I've, I've yeah. shaken you out of something or I don't know. Well, yeah, you're right. It is like, it's like the metric and it, it maybe is really fucked up and I don't know, <laughs> but I know I feel it too. And perhaps and it, my... it, it begs for reevaluation, but yeah. 
And if you want to use this, you can. My buddy calls, uh, since we're doing the opposite of uh, stand-up comedy, it's lay down tragic <laughs> is what we call ourselves. So. <laughs> lay so down tragedy. That's, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's uh, so, perfect. Yeah. Shout out to my buddy Kyle for the Kyle, for that. that is brilliant. It is brilliant. I use it all the time. Um, well, th- thank you so much for doing this. You, I, you gave me so many moments. There was so many moments reading your book, little surprises, little whiplash moments where I was like, no, and my wife would be like, what? And I'm like, I can't tell you. You just have to read it. Um, so thank you. I love the book. It was fantastic. And I'm so glad we got to chat. Thank you so much for being on the show. I love this conversation. I hope you all loved it. Go check out Lulu's book. You will not be disappointed. Why fish don't exist. Oh my gosh. I I just had the best time reading this. Um, and also go to creativepeptalk.com and check out the show notes for this episode 291. Lulu did two incredible Creative Mornings talks. It was a big part of why I wanted to get her on the show. She is, she is she's not only great at making creative work, she has a sense of how she does it and she teaches it really well. Very passionate about uh, you watching these videos. They're fantastic. Uh, thanks, Lulu, for doing this. I hope we get to talk again. I love your work. So pumped that you get to be a co-host of Radio Lab. One of the best radio shows, podcasts out there. Uh, You deserve it. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing this show. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for scheduling uh, and and everything, talking to me. (laughs) Thanks for talking to me, man, Um, and helping me get all this stuff together. Thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.